Welcome to Bob's Last Marathon, where Lena Chow Kuhar shares her first-hand experiences and practical wisdom gained from caring for her husband, Bob, on their long, unmapped journey with Alzheimer's disease. Through her own insights, as well as those of other caregivers, advocates, and experts, Lena hopes to help you meet the challenges of Alzheimer's disease and give your loved ones the best quality of life possible. In an expert roundtable convened recently, Felicia Greenfield, Executive Director of the Penn Memory Center, and Dr. Barry J. Jacobs, a noted clinical psychologist, family therapist, and healthcare consultant, discuss self-care for the caregiver. In this first of two podcasts, excerpted from the roundtable, they talk about the importance of self-care and research demonstrating the value of self-care. I've been working at the Penn Memory Center supporting caregivers, taking care of somebody with Alzheimer's disease or related dementias for about 10 years or so. So I have hundreds of people who I have worked with over the years. And I wanna share a couple of stories today about two people in particular, and I am changing the names to protect folks' identity. The first person I'm gonna tell you about is a woman named Mariana. And Mariana has been caring for her husband, John, for just about a year, slightly over a year. And Mariana first reached out to me upon hearing John's diagnosis, which was early stage Alzheimer's disease. And she told me she wanted to meet just so that she could learn all she could about the diagnosis. We met a couple of times, and at my recommendation, she enrolled in our seven-week class called Caring for the Caregiver. And this is a class that focuses on self-care for caregivers in order to improve the outcomes for their loved ones living with dementia. Mariana was highly engaged and participated actively in our class discussions. And at the conclusion of the class, she joined a caregiver support group. She loved the group, but she still felt she needed a little bit more support. So she reached out to me for individual therapy, and we've been meeting every other week or so for the past year. Our work has been really on helping Mariana understand how her husband's illness affects his thoughts, his behaviors, and his functioning. But we also place an emphasis on Mariana's self-care. Some of the ways that in our work together, Mariana has developed self-care strategies is that she's been reaching out to family and friends to schedule outings for her husband, getting someone to pick him up so that he doesn't have to drive and take him out to lunch or to do something he enjoys. And it gives her some time to be by herself or to have lunch with a friend and occasionally get away for a long weekend. Mariana is really good about exercising and going to her doctor's appointments because she knows that her husband's care is on her and that if she she needs to prioritize her self-care so that she can care for him. In our sessions, we work on mindfulness meditation and mindful breathing, and Mariana practices between sessions as a way to reduce her stress and anxiety and to stay in the moment. Finally, Mariana's been really proactive about planning for their future. She's not currently looking for alternative living arrangements, but she is kind of starting the process of just seeing what's out there if and when the time comes when they decide that a move is necessary for them. And while Mariana admits to feeling sad from time to time, 
she does have a sense of mastery in her role as a caregiver and feels more positive about her situation overall. The other person I'd like to talk about um, is a man who I will call Jerome. Jerome's wife wasn't a patient of ours, and she didn't really have a diagnosis yet, but she was really having some difficulty with functioning, and he was noticing some behavioral changes. At a friend's request, he signed up for my caregiver class, and so I met him in that context. His wife, Angela, was a retired medical professional, and sometimes those make the worst patients. She didn't want to go to the doctor and refused kind of getting a workup to to figure out what might be going on with her uh, memory and thinking. And Jerome, you know, he came to each class late, looking exhausted and overwhelmed. He complained about how hard it was to get there because his wife was really paranoid and didn't like whenever he left the house. This is a couple with uh, without a lot of family or support, and so it was really just the two of them. They were pretty isolated. Jerome was reluctant to try some of the self-care techniques that we taught in class and skeptical that any of the behavioral or communication strategies that we taught would help him. He found endless reasons why nothing would help. His wife used to be the cook in the family, and now the food prep was all on him, and he resorted to takeout and sandwiches and was, you know, neglecting his own exercising and rarely got breaks from caregiving. His wife would rage at him, and rather than walk away or redirect her, he kind of fought back with her, and their stress level was high. Angela was eventually diagnosed with behavioral variant frontal temporal dementia, Jerome struggled to separate her behaviors from her disease and continued to try to reason with her, despite knowing that it wasn't the best strategy. Jerome at one point needed knee replacement surgery, but postponed that because he wasn't comfortable leaving his wife in anyone else's care. They increasingly grew more isolated and stress and depression continued to increase for Jerome. At this point, uh, his wife is on hospice and he continues to struggle with depression in anticipation of the loss of his wife. So those are two stories um, that I wanted to share, one kind of demonstrating positive self-care and the other one with somebody who struggled a little bit more. What's really common to both those cases is that you had a real commitment on the part of both caregivers. It, it wasn't as if one person didn't want to do the work and the other did. They both wanted to, to help their loved one. You know, I always talk about how important it is to approach caregiving in a smart and strategic way. And a smart and strategic caregiving includes self-care. I've talked with many caregivers over the years who seem disinclined to uh, care for themselves. They, they feel guilty caring for themselves and consequently they resist it. So I think those two cases are very uh, emblematic of how a lot of caregivers either take care of themselves or don't. Self-care is really important, as I think uh, all of us know, and if there's one thing that uh, people who are helping caregivers talk about, it is self-care. And just to talk about why it's so important, we have a lot of research over the years about what happens to caregivers when they don't take care of themselves. So 
just to cite a couple of different research statistics, which I which I think are, are compelling. Uh, the most famous uh, research article in the family caregiving literature was a Journal of the American Medical Association article from 1999 uh, that was uh, primarily written by a social psychologist at the University of Pittsburgh named Rich Schultz. And what he found uh, is that he, he looked at uh, older adults who were caring for spouses who had dementia. And a lot of these older adults themselves had chronic illnesses. Like many older adults, they had hypertension and they had diabetes. Um, and what Rich Schultz found is that in the, these older adults were so focused on caring for their loved ones, they're so committed to their loved ones' well-being, that they neglected to take care of their own well-being. Uh, so they didn't go to the doctor for their own uh, blood pressure checks or for their own blood sugar checks. And consequently, they did poorly with their own chronic illnesses. According to rituals, they died uh, at a 63% higher rate than other individuals the same age as they were who had the same illnesses but who were not caregivers. So when this article came out in 1999, it really kind of let the world know that caregivers who neglect themselves put themselves at great risk for both physical consequences, medical consequences, as well as psychological consequences. To share some, some more recent statistics, every five years or so, the uh, National Alliance for Caregiving and AARP put together something called the Caregiving in the U.S. Report, and the most recent report was published in 2020. Um, in 2020, uh, they surveyed something like 1,500 caregivers that were a representative sample of the United States, and they found that of those caregivers, 21% of them said that their health uh, was fair or poor, uh, meaning that their health was not really what we would want it to be. And that's a, that's a lot of caregivers who were self-rating as, as having poor health. And this is in comparison to the, the U.S. population as a whole, individuals who were not caregivers, where only 12% of, of those folks would, would say that their health is either fair or poor. So that you know suggests that caregivers perceive that their, their health is worse, and their health is probably worse, uh, oftentimes because of the stress of caregiving and possibly because they're not taking care of themselves. Uh, I'll also just point out that the last time the, the caregiving in the U.S. report was done in 2015, the, the percentage of caregivers who rated their health as fair or poor was 17%. So between 2015 to 2020, 4% more caregivers uh, cited poor health. And this probably has to do with the fact that uh, caregivers are caring for loved ones with more complex and severe illnesses at home, including more severe and complex dementia. So those are uh, two compelling statistics, I think, that really suggest that caregivers do really important work, but sometimes can put themselves at risk for medical consequences unless they're really taking good care of themselves. Thank you for listening to the first part of our expert roundtable on self-care with a focus on the benefits of self-care. In the next episode, we will talk about barriers to self-care and some strategies for overcoming them. Transcripts of today's show and other episodes and acknowledgments can be found at bobsmarathon.com. That's Bob's Marathon without an apostrophe. Send us a note with your comments, like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We wish you and your loved ones good health.